all God's people said, amen and amen. Church, it's really good to be with you this morning. And today we continue from where we left off last week in our message titled, Contending for the Faith in a Transitioning Culture. Last week we set a foundation for today's message in that we first had to address the importance of contending for the faith in our own moment of history before we address the issue of a transitioning culture and how we biblically engage with that culture. Jude's message to contend for the faith is an urgent cry for every willing believer of every age, male or female, that is willing to stand up and struggle for and fight for and get on their knees for and agonize for the faith. It is an appeal that is made to the saints of every generation to step forward and take on the challenge of the giant who defies the armies of the living God. I'm using this allegorically, but church, what is the giant that we're facing right now? What is the giant that is heading straight towards us? Or let me put it to you another way. Where is the battle for the Bible today? Where is the epicenter of people saying we cannot possibly submit to the Bible and to the full counsel of God's word? In the matter of human sexuality... In the matter of gender, in the matter of the binary distinction between what a man is and what a woman is, in the matter of a transitioning culture, this is where the Bible stands in such a way against the giants of this generation. Now, as I said last week, the world thinks that we're the crazy ones, right? They think that we've lost our minds because we don't embrace the transitioning of the culture And because we don't celebrate all the madness that is happening in our world. Can you remember what C.S. Lewis said? He said, when the whole world is running towards the cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. He's right. Because our worldview is so different to popular culture that it appears we've lost our minds. And yes, we are running away from the cliff. Why? Because firstly, we know what happens when you fall off that cliff. And secondly, because we want to take as many people who are on the verge of falling off the cliff with us. Amen? And I lead with that, church, because we need to understand that we must never lose the mission of the church. We must never lose the mission of the church, even in our outrage over the madness that is happening in the world. Yes, you should feel a sense of urgency and outrage over the cultural chaos, but directed towards Satan. He is the liar and the father of lies. He is the one who is deceiving people and robbing them of the truth. So your outrage should never blind you to the lost and hurting people around you, even if they don't currently see how lost and hurting they are. We trust and pray that they will in time, but if you're always keeping them at an arm's length and you're always angry, you're not going to be, help them to find Jesus Christ. Right? So keep that in mind. But remember also, neither will you be able to help them find Jesus if you are so affirming. If you are affirming the delusion, if you are condoning the lies, or you are just indifferent to their position, You will never help them understand the truth and freedom that is found in Jesus. 
which means that there's a balanced approach to this. We must hold the line on absolute truth. We must contend for the faith, but we must also recognize what Peter said, that we must do it with gentleness and respect. And as Jude says in verses 22 and 23, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, this balanced approach, hating even the garment stained by corrupted flesh. So there's this balanced approach of holding the line of absolute truth and recognizing that we must do it with gentleness and respect. But church, there's one more thing. If we are going to operate as beacons of light in a dark world, we must be walking in the light as He is in the light. We cannot expect God to change the culture through our lives unless we are first asking God to change our own sinful hearts. Amen, somebody. You see, judgment begins with the house of God, and we must first take the log out of our own eye before we are able to help someone with a speck in theirs. We have to look at our own hearts. We have to develop our virtues. And like Charles Spurgeon said, in order to be winners of souls, we must first be weepers of souls. So church, I lead with that. That's our starting point, okay? But whichever way we look at it and whatever we need to develop in our own lives, we must be willing to contend for the faith and we need to contend for it in our own generation. We need to contend for it in a transitioning culture. That's where we find ourselves. So church, just for a bit of context, what does the word transitioning mean? If you looked at the word transitioning 20 years ago, this is what you would have found. The word transitioning 20 years ago in 2003 meant the following. A process of change or movement from one state, condition, or phase to another. It could apply to a wide range of situations such as career transition, like changing your jobs, switching professions, or advancing to a new role within a company. Life transition. Describing significant life changes such as getting married, starting a family, moving to a new city, or retiring. Organizational transition, pertaining to changes within a company or institution such as restructuring, leadership transitions, or mergers and acquisitions. Political transition, relating to changes in government, shifts in power, or transitions from authoritarian regimes to democratic systems and then environmental transition, addressing shifts in environmental conditions or adopting sustainable practices. So that's what it meant back then. But if you search that word in any of the modern translations as of today's date, 2023, this is what you'll find. In today's culture, the word transitioning refers to the process of undergoing a gender transition. It is most commonly used to describe the steps taken by individuals who identify as transgender or gender non-conforming to align their gender identity with their outward appearance and expression. Transitioning can involve various aspects such as social transition by changing your name, pronouns and presentation, medical transition, which is hormone therapy and surgeries, 
and legal transition changing gender markers on identification documents. Additionally, the term traditioning can also be used, as in the old explanation, in other contexts such as career transitions, life changes, or even cultural shifts. But its most common usage in contemporary culture pertains to gender transition. Throughout history in our English vocabulary, the English, or this word, has been used in many different ways. But the word transition or transitioning has now become a very loaded word. And I've intentionally used the word transitioning in the title of my message because I want to take time through a biblical lens to look at how Western culture has transitioned and how we have gone beyond what we once were to what we are now and how we then engage and contend for the faith regardless of what's going on around us. So that's where we're going. But let me start by showing you some of the madness that is happening in our culture. Because you see, church, offering the right cure requires first the right diagnosis. And here's the diagnosis of what's happening at the moment. We're starting to see it more and more around the world in Western society like America and in Europe and on social media, but specifically from a South African context, in this month of 2023, many of the big retailers have stepped up their support for Pride Month and for their support for the LGBTQR plus community. Woolworths was the first notable one where they have all these images around their stores. And even though they've received quite a bit of backlash from people saying, listen, we don't like this and we're not going to shop there, they released this statement a few weeks back, and I'm going to read a small part of it. It says, major, major retailer Woolworths marked International Pride Month with a campaign in its stores. The campaign forms part of Woolworths' Inclusive Justice Initiative, a natural evolution of the company's good business journey and commitment to care for the environment, people, and communities. The Inclusive Justice Initiative sets out to acknowledge that certain groups in society are marginalized and to help shape a world in which everyone feels they belong. We certainly see a world characterized by rising levels of inequality, discrimination, and marginalization, said Group Chief Executive Officer Roy Bagatini. And we believe that we have a responsibility to use the platform we have as a business to make a broader contribution to the world around us. There is no question in my mind that our value as a business and our values as a company are inextricably linked, said Bacchettini. Through this work, we want to help build bridges between all the communities we serve and value. Our mission is to contribute to a world where everyone feels they belong and to leave no one behind. Church, on the face of it, that sounds very kind and thoughtful, doesn't it? It even sounds loving. But there is a very specific message and agenda being promoted here. Make no mistake. Let me show you some more. How many of you like shopping at H&M? I know my daughters do. I don't see anybody putting up their hands this morning. <laughs> yeah, we've been careful. But let me show you what they think about heterosexual relationships and the construct of a family. This is a video that includes 
two South African models, a video that was released last year, but it is in connection with Pride Month. Have a look at this. We grow up thinking we're going to be alone. We're not going to find anyone like us. And then you realize it's not true. I love dressing up with my family. We stick out in our furs and our heels and our platforms. Our identities are all very different. That drives us, I think, to do the work that we do. And from that energy, I think a safe space is developed between us from which we can play. I'm so comfortable around these people. I'm very much my real and true self. Having a chosen family gives freedom to become who you are and being accepted for that. My chosen family make me feel accepted and safe. Let me show you one more. Who knows the North Face hiking and camping gear? It's a high-quality brand that some of us use. Some of us have the items. But just look at how they've redefined hiking and the outdoors. Look at the video. Hi, it's me, Patagonia, a real-life homosexual. And today, I'm here with the North Face. We are here to invite you to come out in nature with us. Wow, this is nice. We like to call this little tour the Summer of Pride. This tour has everything. Hiking, community, art, lesbians, lesbians making art. Last year, we gay saw shade across the nation and celebrated pride across the nation with hundreds of you across the nation. This year, we're back, back, back again with two new stops. Atlanta, GA. Why? Because you're there. In Salt Lake City, we're coming for you. Howdy, here we go. Of course. This year, all these fabulous speakers will be coming from inside this TV to a nature near you. So come outside and celebrate the beautiful LGHG TV community. That's pretty gay. Now, church, this is only three examples of many retailers and large corporates that have taken the stand over the month of June. But this agenda is intentional and unapologetic even if it means people boycott these companies for a couple of months. I don't know about the local stats, right, but companies in the U.S. that took the stance lost billions of dollars in their share price within weeks, and you think to yourself, why would they be willing to do that? Why would they be willing to lose up to 30% of their share price in some cases just to promote an agenda that only represents a very small percentage of the population? Can I tell you why? Because they are willing to suffer short-term short financial losses for long-term cultural gains. Let me say that again because you need to understand what's going on here. They are willing to suffer short-term financial losses for long-term financial gains. There is, excuse me, for long-term cultural gains. There is an evil agenda and the corporate world that controls the money in Western society and the supplier of its goods is willing to suffer a little bit financially to advance this evil cultural agenda into the future. And church, this is not some conspiracy theory that I'm making up this morning to try and over-sensationalize this whole idea or to make my, my message sound better. 
This is the reality of what is happening. It is an intentional agenda. They are more interested in inclusive justice initiatives, as in the case of Woolworths, than they are about customer satisfaction. And listen, the messaging they're using sounds good, right? It almost sounds biblical to some degree, because they're speaking about equality, they're speaking about justice, they're speaking about leaving no one behind, they're speaking about loving families, and they're even willing to take financial losses to promote their agenda and to support a certain group of people. It sounds very noble. And to top it all off, they've taken God's rainbow and used it as their symbol of pride, their symbol of freedom. All this color and fun and happiness and freedom from old ways of thinking. You see, the messaging is designed to pull on people's emotions and feelings about the well-being of mankind and the progression of mankind. And to make them feel like they're actually standing for something good. But make no mistake, church, this is all Satan's attempt to pervert what God has designed and blessed. Satan is going after God's design of biological sex. Satan is going after God's design of marriage between a man and a woman and the exclusive sexual intimacy found therein. He's going after the construct of the family. And Satan is going after the most vulnerable and precious of all of God's creation, both inside the womb and outside the womb, is going after the children. He's going after your children. He's going after my children. Now, church, as shocking as this is for some of us, none of this madness should surprise us. Because the Bible says that this is what happened when a society rejects, removes, or replaces God. I want to read to you out of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 28, so that we can understand that what is happening in our culture is something that the Bible clearly predicted, and this is what happens when you remove, when you replace, or you reject God. This is what it says. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, church, what happens if we reject, replace, or remove God? What does it say at the end of the verse? It says, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. God says, if you reject me, if you remove me, if you replace me from a culture, from a society, I will leave you to your own vices, and it will not end well for you, because you will end up sparring, spiraling to a dark place based on your own flesh and evil desires. And so God says, I'll give you over to them. If that's what you want, I'm going to give you over to those things. And one of the things that he says here is a depraved mind. Other translations say a debased mind. What is he saying here? In other words, madness sets in. Depravity sets in. That's the first thing that happens. And also, if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, not only does depravity set in, but when a culture rejects, removes, or replaces God, people become deceived and delusional. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Now, did you notice what it says here about the coming of the lawless one? That is a reference to the Antichrist, right? And I underline two words in that passage of Scripture, deception and delusion, because what Paul is writing here to the church at Thessalonica is that the culture will be conditioned to receive and welcome the Antichrist whom they think will be the Messiah. And how does that happen? Because along the way and leading up to the arrival of the Antichrist, a culture that has been rejecting, removing, and replacing God will become deceived and they will become delusional. And the conditions will be perfect for people to accept and receive the Antichrist because they are already deceived and they are already delusional. The Bible predicts this. That's the second thing that happens. So not only does depravity set in, not only does deception and delusion set in, but when a culture rejects, removes, or replaces God, it unleashes the demonic. Church, when a nation or a culture removes God out of it, it literally unleashes the demonic into that culture. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, does anybody know that we're living in the latter times? That in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. People will believe demonic things because demons will be inspiring these lies. Now, church, I know that I'm giving you lots of information and, and meanings of words this morning, but there's something I want to show you here. If you search the word pronouns in the dictionary now compared to 20 years ago, you will also find a vast difference between its actual meaning. 
But here's a good description for you to see how things have transitioned. In today's culture, the meaning of pronouns has expanded to encompass a broader understanding and recognition of gender identity and expression. Traditionally, pronouns have been used to refer to a person's gender, typically he or him for males and she or her for females. However, many individuals today do not identify strictly within the traditional gender binary and may prefer different pronouns that better reflect their gender identity. Pronouns now include a wider range of options such as they or them or we or us, which are gender-neutral pronouns, as well as neo-pronouns like XE or XEM, ZE or ZIR, or EY or EM. These pronouns are used by individuals who may identify as non-binary, gender-queer, gender-fluid, or other non-traditional gender identities. Then it says, using the correct pronouns for someone is an essential aspect of respecting their gender identity and affirming their self-expression. It is considered respectful and inclusive to ask and use the preferred pronouns of individuals and promoting inclusivity, there's that word again, in today's culture. Now, church, I don't say this to insult or offend anyone who identifies themselves in this way, but it's interesting, really interesting, that in the Bible, examples of those who use gender-neutral pronouns such as we or them are demons. In Mark chapter 5, when Jesus goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Gadarenes, he comes across a demon-possessed man. And what does he do? He delivers him and he, and he sets, sets him free. We know the story, right? But the text tells us in Mark chapter 5 that the man was possessed with, a, with an unclean spirit. And in the process of Jesus delivering this man from his demonic possession, in verse 9, Jesus asked him, singular pronoun, what is your name? And the demon speaks through this man, my name, singular pronoun, my name is Legion, for we are many. Church, do you know how many genders there are today? There are many. Over and above God's created genders of male and female, there are a total, and there's differing opinions on this, but there are a total of 72 other genders that are officially recognized as of today's date, and the number's growing. When a culture rejects, removes, or replaces God, people become depraved, deceived, delusional, and demonically influenced and controlled. And get this, church, they begin to identify themselves as anything other than how God created them. And church, any created thing that rebels against the Creator and His perfect design for this world and mankind doesn't end well. And listen, who's the one that's inspiring all of this? Who is to blame? It's Satan, right? This is all Satan's attempt to pervert what God has created and blessed. He is behind this evil agenda. And I'll say it again. In case you missed the crux of what's happening in this transitioning culture, Satan is going after God's design of biological sex. Satan is going after God's design of marriage between a man and a woman and the exclusive sexual intimacy found therein. 
is going after the biblical construct of the family as a man as the father and a woman as the mother. And yes, Satan is going after the most vulnerable and precious and most impressionable of all of God's creation, both inside and outside the womb, our children. And listen, church, it isn't the first time and it won't be the last. If you look at the example of Nazi Germany with Hitler's youth movement of the 1930s, Satan inspired a madman by the name of Adolf Hitler to go after the children in his own country and corrupt their thinking. Millions of German children were indoctrinated with rewritten history and distorted biology to spread this myth and lie of a superior race. And not only were the kids believing it. Thousands of teachers joined the Nazi Teacher Association and believed the propaganda and spread the propaganda. Smart adults, educated adults, believed the lie and perpetuated the lie church which ended up in the death of approximately 80 million people in World War II. And you think to yourself, how is that possible? Because of Satan. He's a liar and he's the father of lies. To quote Adolf Hitler, he said, I want to raise a generation of young people devoid of a conscience, imperious, relentless, and cruel. Satan has done it before, and he's going to do it again. He's doing it again in our generation. Yes, he's doing it in a different way. But his aim is still to, to pervert what God, but anything that has been created in the image of God. And I don't know about you, church, but I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with the transitioning culture that is set out to destroy everything that is good and that has been created and blessed by God. I'm concerned for my children and my children's children and for the ethos and the ethics of the educational and social structures that are imposing upon them every day of their lives. And if as sensible Bible-believing Christians, we don't feel a sense of urgency, then maybe God needs to come and revive our hearts by opening up our eyes and strengthening our resolve. So that with gentleness and courage, the gentleness and courage of a surgeon who has to make the incision, who has to go in and, and take care of the tumor, and has to risk everything for the well-being of the patient, may we in like manner be willing to contend for the faith in a transitioning culture. Church, there are people that are on their way to hell. There are hurting and confused people in this world who need to know that Jesus saves, that Jesus heals, that Jesus forgives. And they can have a complete identity in him. May God break our hearts for them and for people in same-sex relationships and for anyone else who has been deceived and caught up in this madness. Let us pray that the Lord would prepare us as a church and use us to snatch them from the fire. Always keeping in mind that it is not a physical battle against people, but against a spiritual giant whose goal is to pervert what, what God has created in men, women, and children. He wants to destroy those images, anything that has been created in the image of God. 
And I'm going to close with the timeless words of the Apostle Paul from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 14. It says, Finally, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything, to stand. Would you stand with me as we pray? We've got to ask the worship team to come up as well, please. Church, today is part two, I would say, of a three-part message because we first had to identify the importance of us as Christians that we need to contend for the faith in our own moment of history. Today we've understood what it means We've identified what a transitioning culture is. But next week, I really want us to look at how we properly engage and impact that culture. Right? I want us to pray together this morning. And maybe afterwards, after I pray, if there's anyone here this morning, listen, I want to say, first of all, a church is not a place for perfect people, right? It's a place for sick people. It's a place for people that, that need healing. I want to give you an opportunity after I pray. If you are dealing with anything like this in your life, where Satan has been lying to you, and I know this is quite a thing to come and stand up in front of people, but if that's you this morning, I want you to come and stand up, and I'm going to have some of our elders pray for you. But also, if you want to stand in the gap for someone in your family that you know that is struggling with these tendencies, that is confused by the lies of the enemy, come and stand in the gap for them, and we're going to pray with you. And we're going to trust for breakthrough in Jesus' name. Just bow your heads with me for a moment. Father God, as we close in prayer this morning, we are reminded of the urgency and importance of contending for the faith in a transitioning culture. We acknowledge that the battle we face is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil that seek to distort and pervert your truth. Lord, we lift up our voices in intercession for the world around us. We pray for those who are deceived and deluded by the lies of the enemy. And we ask for your mercy and grace to touch their hearts and to open their eyes to the truth of your word. And Lord, help us as your church to demonstrate your love and compassion to those who are lost and hurting even as we stand firm in our faith. Give us the strength and courage to hold the line on absolute truth while also extending gentleness and respect to those who doubt. Father, we pray for our children and the next generation. Protect them, Lord, from the schemes of the enemy and guide them in your ways. May they find their identity and purpose in you and may they be equipped to stand strong in the face of a murky culture and in their own moment of history. Lord, today we put on the full armor of God, knowing that our strength comes from you. Help us to be vigilant and steadfast, rooted in your word, 
and empowered by your spirit. Give us wisdom and discernment as we navigate the complexities of the world around us. Change our hearts, renew our minds, and conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this all in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen.